certainly good to be with you this morning and <coughs> excuse me trust that the Lord would bless us a little while here this morning uh, trust that you would pray for me that uh, the Lord bless me and follow the train of thought things that's on my mind this morning I'd like to turn with me to Job chapter 14 the book of Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14, verse 14, says, If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thy hands. Um, Here in this passage, we find that the question is asked, if a man die, shall he live again? Um, of course, the answer is he will. <clears throat> the answer is that man does die, but man will live again. If the Lord, bless me to follow the impression on my mind today. I'd like to talk to you about death and the resurrection. Both of these are found in this text. And... Um, <clears throat> It says, if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till the, my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. I want to jump up just a little bit here, uh, a few verses before this. Start in verse 7. He says, for there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again. And that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stalk thereof die in the ground, yet through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. I remember by my back fence at home I had some shrubs and some, some kind of a tree. I don't know what it was, little bitty trees coming out. And it would get in my fence and I tried to kill that thing off. I don't know how many times I would cut it off. I'd cut it off to try to poison it and that, you know, through a little scent of water, it'd come back again. I don't know if you ever had that trouble or not. <clears throat> Finally, I, I <clears throat> put in a back fence and I dug about from the roots. But anyway, uh, here he's saying he gives the picture of you cut down a tree and it's dead. But yet, through the sin of water, it will sprout back again. It comes back to life, you see. And he's making a comparison between that and the death of man. Let's keep reading. So, he says, verse 7 again, There is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. That's not the end of it. But there is hope of a tree that if it be cut down, that it will sprout again and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. In other words, it's not all over. He says, verse 9, verse 10 says, But man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? As the waters fail from the sea and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. 
They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be passed, that thou wouldest appoint a set time and remember me. He's comparing this tree. You cut it down, it's going to come back. So is man. Man dieth, wasteth away, but it says that he will rise again. When the heavens are no more, man will rise again. And he says, hide me in the grave and set an appointed time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? Yes, he will. All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call and I'll answer thee. He's going to come and speak. And it says all in, in John chapter 5 verse 29, I believe. He says all in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. He's going to speak and there's going to be this great resurrection of the dead. So this morning, um, I want to try to look at the subject of death and the resurrection from the dead. And you may say, well, you know, I've heard that before. Well, I, I'm, I suspect you have. You may have heard me preach it before. Matter of fact, I tried to preach on death. I look back in my notes. I keep little notes. What I preach on. Back in February of 2019, I preached on the subject of death and the resurrection. But you know what? That's really okay. You know, sometimes preachers don't like to preach the same thing. As a matter of fact, I preach this. Some of you have already heard this preached last month, I believe it was. You know, sometimes preachers get the vain idea that I've done preach that one time and so they know everything about it that I know and they've got it all down and, you know, I'm just going over the stubble. But I find here in <clears throat> that I would be negligent. You know, preachers are actually negligent if they don't bring to remembrance things that you already know. That's right. They're, they're negligent. Uh, if we were to go over here to Second Peter, but see, preachers still don't like to do it because, you know, you know, the vanity of man, you know, that preacher, he's preaching on the same thing again. You know, he's only got two sermons. He always preached one of them first, and then the next one's his other one, you know. Well, you know, I need to put it out of way and preach what I feel led to preach and what's on my mind. Alright? But let's turn over here because, you know, sometimes preachers don't think very well. They think, I've done preach this once. People already know everything I know. I mentioned this morning that we ought to be participators rather than spectators. Right? In the hearing of the Word of God in our Bible study this morning. We're, we're one of the two and usually probably both. On any given Sunday. We're, we're really focused and participating and paying attention, but then the mind wanders. I wonder who's gonna win the football game. What am I gonna do? I wonder what, I, I know there's some good vittles there for lunch. I don't know what it might be, but our mind has a tendency to stray, does it not? So you, you're not, it's vain for me to think that I've preached something or some preachers preached something and they've got it all pat down and they know everything that you know. No. Because we only get parts. And we don't remember things. That's why we're to bring things into remembrance. But here in Second Peter chapter 1, about verse 12, Paul says this, Wherefore, I will not be negligent 
to put you always in remembrance of these things. And if you want to know what the these things are, this afternoon you can read the first part of this chapter and know what those things are. We're not going to go into that. But he says, I will not be negligent. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. So he's saying, I'm going to bring to your remembrance some things that you already know and some present truth that you're already, uh, you know, immersed in that you know about that. He said, I'm not going to be negligent about it. He didn't just say it'd be a good thing, you know, to hear things, uh, uh, you know, to re- be, have things reinforced. He actually says, I'm not going to be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you already know them and you're, you're, you're established in the present truth. All right. So I have to read that occasionally when the vanity of events says, you done preached on that once. You know, they're going to think you shallow, whatever. I, I think, well, you know what? I don't want to be negligent to put you in remembrance. And if, and I, I don't know what to do but other to preach that which is on my mind and this is on my mind and I trust it's of the Lord. I don't know any other way to do it. But anyway, I didn't go here to this text just for that. Because listen to what he says. He's going to, talk about his death and i want to talk about death today he's going to talk about his death he says yea i think it meet verse 13 yea i think it meet as long as i am in this tabernacle to stir you up to stir you up uh by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly i must put off this my tabernacle isn't that interesting language? See, you say, well, why do you want to talk about death? You know, I find that a lot of people are afraid of death. Right? I mean, this goes, this tra- this goes beyond just the folks that come to church every Sunday. People out here, they think, what's going on death? Death is mysterious, is it not? What's going to happen when you die? What happens when you die? I can go to the medical doctor and he can tell me if when I'm sick, and I can, you know, I can be laying on a slab over here and he can come check my vital signs and say, yeah, he's dead. But the question remains, what is experienced in death? What is death? What is it all about? We have these questions. And a lot of people are fearful of death. And even so, I want to try to look and see, and I'm thankful to God that he hasn't left us in the dark on this subject. He tells us in the Word of God, even though the medical community cannot tell you what happens when a person dies, other than they can say your body's ceasing to function. It has no activity. That's all they know. But what really happens in natural corporal death? All right? We're, 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 we're going to look at that, Lord willing, and see. And I trust you already know some of these things, but we're going to bring it to remembrance. And if some of you out there don't know, you're going to hopefully learn something about death. All right? If a man die, shall he live again? We're all going to die. I mean, unless the Lord comes again before we die, we're going to go the way of all flesh. We are going to die. Death is a natural part of life. We live here in this world and we're going to experience death. It's except the Lord come back. It's nothing that any of us is going to escape. But we have information that God has been so gracious to give us about 
death. And he says here, and notice how he's, he, he is, Peter is speaking of death. And he says, yeah, I think it means as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. He just gave us a sentence here to describe death as putting off of a tabernacle. Because the Bible speaks of the body consisting of a tabernacle of clay or a this Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5:1 For we know that if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved we have a building of God a house eternal uh, not made with hands eternal house not made with hands eternal in the heavens And he talked about having a desire to be clothed with that house which is in heaven He says if the tabernacles dissolve you know, the Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he says, I pray God, he says, he says, uh, now the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And that's not H-O-L-Y, that's W-H. That means your whole person. And he says, I pray God your whole, your whole person, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. All right? Maybe you're taking notes. You're supposed to go check me out later, right? Alright? If you already know that scripture, that's good. But if you don't know that scripture, you go look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. So man's made up of a spirit, a soul, and a body. Alright? And the body, of course, you say, what's the body? Well, that's the body you see me. You see my body. You can't see my spirit. And you can't see my soul. Alright? And, and we're, we want to talk about a little bit about what composes a living man because I'll go ahead and tell you, you already know this, death, so what is natural corporal death? Well that occurs when the spirit and the soul depart from the body. That will constitute death. That's when a person dies. The body without the spirit is dead. James 2.26 The body without the spirit is dead. Alright? The body without the spirit is dead. Well, when the death occurs, the spirit departs from the body. You remember on the cross in Luke chapter 23 verse 46 that the Lord Jesus Christ, the man, Christ Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, Not two people, but two natures in one person. He died upon the cross. And you look over there, after he cried with a loud voice, it says, that he he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then he says he gave up the ghost. The spirit, the natural human spirit of Christ, left his body when he died on the cross. Okay? The spirit without the body is dead. James 2.26, he's talking about as, as the spirit without, uh, with the, the body without the spirit is dead, so faith also without works is dead also. I may not have quoted that exactly right. But that's what it's teaching. It's saying, look, if you got a body over here, 
void of the spirit of man, then that's a dead body. Okay. Well, well, what is this spirit? I already talked about the body. That's the, you know, God formed man over there in Genesis of the dust of the earth. He breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. Now, I just use that word soul in a way that the Bible uses it from time to time. Remember, there's we're, we're composed of a spirit, soul, and body. But sometimes, and I'm going to point this out, because if you're going to study this subject, if you're going to receive what I preach with all readiness of mind, and you search about the soul and the spirit, you're going to come across in the Bible where the word soul at times in Scripture can be refer can refer to the whole person. First Peter three twenty is an example. It says talking about Noah and the ark. It says eight souls were saved by water. He's not saying that the, just the soul, the part of man's soul, but the whole person. The Bible talks about seventy souls went down to Egypt. All right, in Jacob's day, uh, there is sometimes the word soul in the scripture just means the whole person. Okay. But sometimes and a lot of times the word soul is referring to that part of man that's unseen that resides within the man. It's the soul that uh, Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 10 when he sent out his apostles to preach. And he says, when they persecute you in one city, you flee to another. And oh, by the way, he didn't say if they persecute you. It says when they persecute you. You flee into this city. But he tells him in verse 28, he says, Fear not them which are able to kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. See, the body can be killed, but the soul cannot. Because if you pull out a gun, or someone, not saying you, someone pulls out a gun, shoots me dead, and I die, my spirit within me and my soul within me goes out from my body. That That soul doesn't, Die, doesn't cease to exist or anything. Either one. The body's dead at that point. But he says, fear not them which are able to kill the body. That's the tabernacle. But can't kill the soul. Alright? But yet, I find in Scripture, see I'm going to tell you this because it can be confusing if we don't understand that the soul sometimes in Scripture is referring to the whole body, soul, and spirit. A whole person. Eight souls were saved by water. Let's go to Joshua chapter, I think it's, I think it's Joshua chapter 11. Yes, Joshua chapter 11. This is going to be a use of the word soul in regard to the whole person, not just that part. Alright, here's an example. It says here, verse 10, it says, And Joshua at that time turned back and took Hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword, and for Hazor, before time, was the head of all those kingdoms. This is when Joshua was leading the children of Israel in, taking Canaan's land, right? And it says in verse 11, And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. Here we find some souls were destroyed with the edge of the sword. There was not any left to breathe. And he burnt Hazor with fire. So here's an example of God using the word soul, meaning just the person. Eight souls, seventy souls went down to Egypt. Uh, uh, over in James says, He that converteth a sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death. That means a person. 
Okay? But there is a soul that's a part of you. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so what is the spirit and the soul? Well, the spirit and the soul is the real you. It's the real conscious you who thinks. Alright? If I'm dead, Vince, the man named Vince is laying there in his body and not thinking a thing. Because my mind's not there anymore. Because my mind doesn't reside in my, it's, it's not, it's not the body. Our mind resides in our, the parts of us that's the spirit and the soul. It's the real conscious you that thinks, loves, feels, rejoices, frets, anxious, worries. Try it. We do that in our spirit and our soul. That's the part of us that do those things. Alright? And so, if we just look at a few scriptures, we go to Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1, and I'll give you time to turn there before I go to another scripture. I know I'll go so fast sometimes. Alright? But go to Luke chapter 1. This is the occasion where Mary and Elizabeth meet, and after the salutation of, of Elizabeth, who was filled with the Holy Ghost and spake some things, uh, Mary said some things, and Mary's response in verse 46, I know I didn't do the context justice here, but you can read it later. I want verse 46, that Mary said in response to what Elizabeth said, she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice. says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced. The spirit is, is, is the part of you that rejoices. Our soul can magnify the Lord, and our spirit rejoice in the Lord. Right? It's not your tabernacle that's rejoicing. It's the spirit and soul within you that rejoices and magnifies the Lord, you see. Alright? Alright, let's turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 is, there was a woman there who was the mother of the little boy Samuel, who would be the prophet Samuel, right? Her name was Hannah, and she was barren. She couldn't have children. And she was praying to the Lord for children, that the Lord would open her womb and she could have a child. And she's contemplating this, and she's praying. And verse 12 says, And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. He saw her and is watching her mouth while she's praying to the Lord. It says, Now Hannah spake in her heart. Her, and I'm going to say she was speaking in her spirit and soul, by the way. That heart isn't talking about she was speaking in that muscle that pumps blood. That heart is the inner affection, the real you from our heart. Love God with all our heart. It's not saying love you with that muscle that pumps. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Joe, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, right? Who can know it? Well, you know what? <laughs> all those doctors know the heart inside and out. They know all the chambers. They know all the coronary arteries. 
People who do anatomy, they know all about the heart, but this is a heart that man can't know. It's desperately wicked who can know it. It's not saying you've got a bad pumper there. When it says the heart's deceit, you know, got a bad heart, deceitful heart. He's talking about this, it, it, our heart is the, is the uh, innermost being in spirit and soul. Alright? But he says here, it came to pass, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. She was mouthing a prayer unto God. And Eli, therefore Eli thought she'd been drunken. Jumping to a conclusion, well she must be drunk. There's a good lesson there not to jump to conclusions. We do that a lot, you know. But, thought she was drunken. And so, he not only thought she was drunk, he acted on what he thought, which was not accurate. Telling her, he says, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have neither, I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. There's the spirit and soul. I'm of a sorrowful spirit. Okay? Um, Mary was rejoicing in spirit. She's a, now she's of a, this, Hannah was of a sorrowful spirit and pouring out her soul before the Lord. He says, she says, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken thereunto. Out of her co- complaint, my sinner column says meditation. Out of her complaint, out of her condition, of her complaint of having no children, and out of the anguish of her, uh, and out of her grief, she's speaking. What I want you to see is, She's meditating and praying out of grief and anguish. She's pouring out her heart, her soul unto God. That's all coming from her spirit and her soul. It's the real her. Alright? That's inhabiting her body. That's what we're talking about, the spirit and the soul. It's very important to understand that the spirit and the soul, that's what motivates, that's what drives you. You animate your body in your spirit and your soul. Okay, and uh, uh, let's get one more. Job chapter seven. We're going to look at verse eleven. We're jumping into a context here, though. But uh, Job is saying that uh, therefore I will not refrain my mouth. <laughs> Sometimes we do well to refrain our mouths, would we not? But he says, I'm not going to refrain my mouth. But look what he says. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Alright, here we have a bitter soul. The bitterness of soul. I'm going to complain in my... He says, I'm going to uh, speak in the anguish of my spirit. And I'm going to complain in the bitterness of my soul. <clears throat> bitterness. So you, what I want you to see is there's rejoicing. Mary was rejoicing with my spirit. Hannah had a sorrowful spirit. He has anguish of spirit. We can, we can rejoice in spirit. Both ways. Alright? Our soul can magnify the Lord or we can have bitterness of soul. It's the real you. 
It's, it's you. And you animate your body with your spirit and your soul. Alright? And that spirit, that, that soul, if we go to Job 14, the soul, just to make sure we understand it's distinct from the body, let's go to Job chapter 14. When he's talking about if man dies, shall he live again? Right? And he talks about man in general, about how he is. And uh, verse 21 says, His sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not. They are brought low, but he perceiveth it not of them. Talking about man in general. It says, But his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. Say, so why did you take us to that text? I'm just showing you, it says the soul within him. In other words, the soul's within the man. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. The spirit and soul reside in the man. His flesh upon him shall have pain, but his soul within him. The soul's on the inside, but it's distinct from the body. Alright? So also is the Spirit of God. If we were to turn to Zechariah, and that's the book right after Haggai, if that helps you. Actually, you go to Matthew and turn two chap two books back, you'll be at Zechariah chapter 12. Go to Matthew chapter 1. You go to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens and layeth the foundations of the earth that formeth the spirit of man within him. So the spirit of man's within him. The soul of man's within him. Alright? So the spirit and soul reside within the man. You want a New Testament scripture about spirit? You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about verse 11, I think. It says that... Uh, um, for what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man that's in him. The spirit of man resides within the man. The soul of man resides in the man. Alright? Well, it resides there until it doesn't. Oh, by the way, let me say this. I'm going to tell you I don't know the difference between the spirit and the soul. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm not telling you I don't... I, you say, I... I there are people, there's, there's like three positions. There's people that say, oh, I know what the difference between the spirit and the soul is. And you go, you, you just Google what's the difference between the spirit and the soul, you'll get all kinds of answers. I hadn't found one that th I thought fit the scriptures. Some people say, well, the difference between the spirit and the soul, the soul is the real you and the spirit's just the breath of life. Well, that won't work if you're of anguish of the breath of life. If you're, uh, uh, rejoice in the breath of life. That doesn't make any sense, does it? No. The spirit is not just the breath of life and the soul is the rule of you. And there's all kinds of ideas about some of those things. There are some people who believe we're made up of two parts. You've got the spirit, you've you, you got the soul and the body. And then when you're born of the spirit of God, you have the spirit of God within you, now you've got all three. But that's not what he's talking about over there in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved blameless. Because we already looked over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 about the natural man that receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. It says, What man knoweth the things of a man save the Spirit of man that's in him? Even though the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. you got to have the Spirit of God to understand spiritual things. So when a person's born of the Spirit of God, you not only have your natural spirit, your natural soul, your natural body, but the Spirit of God takes up residence within you. Right? You can go read over there in Romans chapter 8 for that, where it says in verse 8, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh, 
If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. See, there's an indwelling of the Spirit of God in with your natural spirit, your natural soul inside your body. All right? But I know there's a difference. There's some people, I, I said, there's people who think, yeah, there's there's a spirit, soul, and body, and I can tell you the difference between the spirit and the soul. There's others, because there's other preachers that believe, and other people that believe, not just preachers, believe that there's nearly no difference between the spirit and the soul. It's all the same thing. And man's not made up of three parts, he's just made up of two. The spirit and the soul is just the same thing. Well, I can't abide that because the Scriptures tells us that, we already read, I quoted it a few times, right? I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. I'm just simple enough to know if He lists three things, there's probably three things. Alright? And if you want one more for that, go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it talks about the Word of God, and I believe that's the eternal Word of God that was made flesh, the eternal Word of God, because He's a He, because it's called a He, that is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now let's get to the verse. Verse 12, he says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. There's a difference between the joints and the marrow. There's a difference between the spirit and the soul. Or that text doesn't mean anything. How can you divide between the spirit and the soul? There's no difference between the spirit and the soul. If it's the same thing, there's no division between them. Because it's the same. Anyway. So, you see, you say, well, why do preachers say that they're the same? My opinion is because preachers don't want to look dumb and uninformed and unknowledgeable. And if I can't explain what it is, they must be the same. If I can't explain the difference. Now, I don't know. I'm just speaking from my own idea. There may be other reasons. <clears throat> but I do know this. The vanity and pride sometimes, yea, of preachers is, they don't want to admit they don't know anything. Or certain things, right? They don't want to... <clears throat> Have you ever asked a preacher, Hey, preacher, what do you think about this text? What is this teaching? You see the wheels are turning. Maybe they've never really t studied that in depth. But they're flying by the seat of their pants. And you can kind of tell when people, uh, you know, I mean, somebody, you may ask me what I think about a certain text. I say, well, I don't know. It could be this, could be that. But I don't just give you an answer, you know, just, okay, come up with something to be coming up with something. Why would I try to do that and be unfaithful to the Word of God and you too trying to tell you the Bible says, teach us something that I don't know what is? Sometimes, there's a, my most common answer to a Bible question is, I don't know. You say, well, you're not much a preacher then. Well, let the chips fall where they may. If I don't know, I don't know. At least I'm honest that I don't know. Okay? So anyway, difference between the spirit and the soul. I don't know because it looks like things are attributed, the conscious person is attributed to both. I don't want to get bogged down. I guess I already got bogged down in that, didn't I? All right. So what is death? It's a separation of the spirit and soul from the body. And that's not just my opinion. Let's go to the Word of God. See, I don't really know anything about this subject except what's in here. Right? I mean, I really don't. We could guess. Oh, I think this happened. No. Well, I'm glad we don't have to guess. And I'm going to tell you, God's been merciful. Was great. You know, 
Death is kind of frightening, right? We think we hadn't experienced it yet. You know, first, first time I flew on an airplane, you know, I was kind of a, I was going, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm going to be up here on nothing. Help me. Take care of me. I hadn't experienced it before. Well, you know, that's been dozens and dozens of flights since then. I, I don't really give that much thought I'd get on a plane anymore. I've experienced it. I've always landed successfully. Even though I did come down one time and they forgot, put, forgot to put the landing gear down. And we got right down to the pavement. Whoa, they took off again. There's a pilot back there and said, God said, did what I thought just happened happen? He said, yeah, they forgot to put the landing gear down. <laughs> so we went around. Then we heard the landing gear cock in. And we, uh, but that uh, flying doesn't, you know, before you ever, if you ever fly, you, it's kind of scary. You've never been through that before. Well, that's kind of the same way. None of us have been through death before. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't imagine Lazarus was too scared of it the second time he died. The year, <clears throat> been there, done that. All right, but anyway, it's kind of scary. But it's a great blessing of God. Are we thankful to God that He's actually given us some understanding of death? We should be. We should be thankful that He's done that. All right, let's look. What is death? Death. It's a separation of the spirit and soul from the body. All right, let's. We've already looked at the spirit, right? Jesus on the cross. He says, "Into thy hands I commend my spirit." He died and gave up the ghost. It said, "Oh, well, it didn't say he died." He says, "He." Uh, let me go ahead and read that. I want to get that just right. Verse 46, it says, And when he had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Gave up the ghost. Now, that's not the first time that I've been up here trying to preach that you've heard that, right? Let's go back to Job 14. Job 14. He says, verse 12, So man lieth... I'm sorry. Now verse 10. But man dieth and wasteth away. He says, but man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost. And where is he? Alright. You say, what's the ghost? I'm not talking about Casper the friendly ghost. Or any other unfriendly ghost. We're talking about, you know, the ghost is the spirit. You know, the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Which is in you. That's another word for the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Well, the word ghost is another name for the Spirit, right? Uh, it gave up the Spirit. If Father, into thy hands I commend my Spirit, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Spirit, the spirit of, of Jesus of Nazareth departed from his body when he died. Man dieth, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? Well, he lies down in the grave. Till the resurrection. We'll get there in a minute, Lord with it. Alright. But he gives up gives up the ghost. We could see another place in um, in the book of Genesis, chapter forty nine. When Jacob died. Verse thirty three says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost, and was gathered unto his people. He yielded up the ghost. Alright? So, death, and again, we've looked over in Second Peter, right? 
we've looked in Second Peter. Well, let's get one more before we go back over there. Let's go to let's talk about the soul just for a moment. Let's go to Genesis chapter thirty-five. We've looked and we've seen that according to the Word of God, that the ghost, the spirit, departs from the body at death. The body without the spirit's dead. The body with the spirit's alive. All right. But here in Genesis chapter thirty-five, we find that when Rachel died. You know, she died in childbirth with that last son, Benjamin. And we're going to pick up here where she died and she travailed with child. Uh, verse 16. Pick them up. In Genesis 35, 16. And they journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass... As her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father named him Benjamin. Alright? Uh, called him Benjamin. So she died in childbirth. And God is giving us a little tidbit here. It says, for when her soul was in departing, for she died. When she died, her soul departed from her body. When we die, our spirit departs from our body. And that's why Peter over there, when we're in first, or second Peter chapter one, by verse thirteen, he says, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I, he's speaking from his spirit and soul, where his consciousness, that's the real Peter, where his consciousness lies. He says, he says, for I must shortly put off this my tabernacle, even as the Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. You see the, the idea? You ever put off a coat? You ever put off a shirt? Put off your shoes? You put off all kinds of clothing, right? Well, he's saying, he's saying, look, I'm going to put this off of me. I must put off my tabernacle. He said, I'm going to put off my body. He's talking about his death. And he's speaking in those terms because the real Peter in soul and spirit, he's going to put off his body because that spirit and soul departs from the body at death. He's talking about death. It's a departure of the spirit and body from the, I mean, spirit and soul from the body. All right. Let me say it right now. You remember over there in second, uh, second Timothy chapter four, about verse six, Paul says, for I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The, righteous, the Lord the righteous judge shall give me in that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. He's about to die. He called it a departure. Right? Now, speaking of airplanes again, I'll go to the airport. Here's departures. There's a departure. Going to leave from one place, go to another. He says the time of my departure is at hand. He's talking about in his spirit and soul, he's going to leave his, he's going to depart from his body. Alright? That's what's going to happen. Alright? So, the spirit and soul depart from the body at death. And I want to cover this because we're fixing to talk about a resurrection a little bit later. Because once you're dead, there's going to be what's called a resurrection of the dead. And in this resurrection of the dead, that spirit and soul reunites with that body. What do you think happens when the spirit comes back into a dead body. 
you live. If the Spirit departing from the body brings forth death, if you bring the Spirit back in, there's life again. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. You remember Jairus' daughter? There's a little uh, daughter here. Jairus was a... Uh, he was a ruler of the synagogue. He had a sick daughter. And he sent to call for Jesus to come heal his daughter. And uh, they spake to him, and he's kind of on the way. He had some other things to do before he got there, like healing a woman with the issue of blood that had the issue of blood for seven years. He healed her. And by the time he got finished doing that, the daughter had already died. And they sent messengers to Jesus. Trouble not the master. She's already dead. You know, we'd hoped that you'd make it in time and you could have healed her from her sickness, but she's already dead. Verse 49 we'll pick up. He says, And while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying unto him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And see, he's going to raise her back from the dead. They don't know that right now. In verse 51 it says, And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Well, was she really dead or not? Well, yes. But to the Lord, it's just like sleep. Right? You remember Jesus told His disciples on one time, He says, Behold, Lazarus sleepeth. And they more or less, this isn't a quote, but, well, if he sleepeth, he doeth well. I mean, who wouldn't, you know, sleep's good, right? The older I get, the more I like sleep. Taking naps. <clears throat> I guess you start out taking naps. You end up life taking naps. <laughs> a lot of similarities between babies and older folks, okay? But anyway, uh, you know, when I, when I, uh, started out in this life, I was gumming my food and I'll probably, uh, lose these and be gumming my food again. But anyway, he says, if he sleepeth, he doeth well. <laughs> and then Jesus says, no, Lazarus is dead, okay? But to the Lord, it's like a sleep. Alright? Remember the scripture over there in 1 Corinthians, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that you saw not even as others which have no hope. They're, they're dead. Alright? So he calls it a sleep but she's dead. He says weep not, she is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. She's dead. What do you mean she's sleeping? And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called saying, Made arise. And her spirit came again and she arose straightway. She was brought back to life when the spirit came back into her body. Alright, what about the soul? Same things happens to the soul. Turn with me to First Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17. Elisha the Tishbite. God blessed him to, uh, you know, this is a, this is a day of, of, of three, three and a half years of famine where it didn't rain. And God sustained him by a little woman, uh, that had a, you know, some meal and a little oil over there, sustained for many days. 
And uh, this is first first Kings chapter seventeen. Well, anyway, that 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 uh, woman of Sidon, she had a uh, uh, a son, and the son died. But God raised that son back to life, and Elijah took that son, laid him upon his bed, and he says, verse nineteen, he said unto her, "Give me thy son." And he took him out of her bosom, carried him up into a loft where he abode, and he laid him upon his own bed, and he cried unto the Lord and said, "Now notice what he's praying for." He's going to be praying that the Lord would bring this child back to life. But look what he prays for and what the Lord does. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. Brother, when that spirit and soul departs from the body, there's death. That spirit and soul goes back into the body, there's life. There's life. The real you, when you die, you depart and be with the Lord. Paul actually said that in Philippians 1.23. He says, I'm in a straight betwixt two having a desire to depart and be with the Lord which is much better. You remember the thief on the cross? One of them had a change, didn't he? And he turned to that. He was reviling the Lord just along with the other one. Then he turned to that other thief and says, we basically, I'm paraphrasing here my own words. You go back and read it. He says, we justly deserve what we're getting, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he turned to the Lord and says, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. You remember what Jesus said? This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross in spirit and soul, when he died, his body's back there on the earth on the cross. I don't know if they threw it out or what they did with it. But his body is, is, isn't there. But that thief in spirit and soul was in paradise with the Lord. That's what happens to the Lord's children when they die. Their spirit and soul depart to be with the Lord. I am in straight between two having a desire to depart and be with the Lord which is much better. Well, we usually quote that verse. You know what the next verse says? It says, nevertheless. Paul says, nevertheless, it's more needful that I abide here. Paul is saying, I'd just soon go home and be at the Lord. <laughs> but you know what? We ought to only want to go and be home and be at the Lord and depart to the Lord in death when He gets ready to take us home. Alright? I know you're all chomping at the bit to be at the Lord in glory. But he don't want you there yet. Alright? He says it's more needful that I abide here. And God isn't ready for a one of us to be there with him yet. And I know that because we're all still here. You're here. He still wants you here. Alright? But Paul says, I just soon go home with the Lord. Nevertheless, it's more needful that I abide here. And I don't care how old you are, how young you are. If you're still here, the Lord wants you to be here. And we ought to be willing to be here just as long as the Lord wants us to be here. But when the Lord gets ready to take us home, I hope we're ready to go. Because when that happens, we're going to be with Him for a long, long time. Forever and ever and ever in paradise. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, 
<clears throat> but his soul came back into him. When we die in spirit and soul, we depart to be with the Lord, which is much better. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 5 again. Paul says it this way. He says, we know that if this earthly house of my tabernacle were dissolved, we have another place to go. We have a house without hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 2, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, so that being clothed we should not be found naked. For that we are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. What I want to get to real quickly, I'm running out of time. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and not willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You studied this scripture out right in here. He's basically saying, if we're absent from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord because that's what happens. This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's thief on the cross in spirit and soul. He was absent from the body and he was with the Lord. That's what happens at death. You know, most, most folks that understand about death, they say, well, you know, I'm not really scared to die. I just don't know what i got to go through to get there. That's true. <clears throat> you know, maybe cancer. I may have cancer. I may have a car wreck. I don't know. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you what. When our spirit and soul does depart our body, you know, God give us grace. So it says, I don't think I could, I could, uh, you know, Die, you know, I don't know how to handle having cancer. Both my parents went with cancer. I may go with cancer. I may step out of here and get run over. I don't know how I'll go. Alright? But whatever your circumstance is, however you do go, <clears throat> Lord will give you dying grace. You say, I don't feel, I don't feel like I have the grace to go through. Well, you're not dying yet. I don't think God give you dying grace till you're dying. But anyway, that's another subject. But, our spirit and soul depart from our body at death. Alright? But if a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. Alright, you know, so the spirit and soul depart to be at the Lord. What about that body? Well, unto dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. That body is out here in the cemetery, in the graveyard. It might be out here in the ocean. It might be, it's gone back to dust. But you know what? It's not going to stay there. You say, I don't know, you mean the Lord can collect all that dust up again? Well, sure He could. He, what did He make the first man of? Dust of the earth. and not any trouble. God is going to come again. There's going to be what's called the resurrection of the dead. One of the reasons He's coming back is because Jesus, the salvation we have in Christ Jesus, He died for sinners. Sinners are made up of what? Body, soul, and spirit. Well, when we die in spirit and soul... You know, the Bible talks about in Hebrews 12, the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, that body's not made perfect until the resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a resurrection. That's what Job is saying. If a man dies, shall he live again? He talk, talks about being in the grave. Set me appointed time and remember me. Well, he's going to remember all those bodies because Jesus Christ died for those bodies. Just like he died for your spirit. He died for you, the person that you are in your spirit and soul. Christ died for you. He, he poured out His blood for you to make you free from sin, to live with Him forever. But my friends, while we live here now, 
These bodies, even after a work of grace, Paul said this in Romans chapter 10. He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. We still have sin in our members. That's why we die. But one of these days, he's going to come. When the Lord comes again, and we go back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he talks about verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them, uh, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. There's people who have no hope or expectation apart from the grave. But we have a hope. And that's not a wish, that's an expectation. This is the will of the Father. John chapter 6, verse 37, 38, 39, right in there says, This is the will of Him which has sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That body is a blood-bought body. If you don't believe that, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he talks about your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. He says, For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, capital G-O-D, apostrophe S, that says your body and your spirit and your soul belongs to God because Jesus Christ bought it with his own precious blood. And so the more the practical teaching is that I don't own my spirit and my soul and my body to just live it however I want, do whatever I want to with this body because it's not mine. It's blood bought. And guess what? It's also heaven bound. Because when the Lord comes, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That you saw not, even as others which have no hope or expectation. He says in verse 14, says, for the Lord himself. He says, for if we, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also, listen, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. When he comes the second time without sin unto salvation, he's not coming by himself, but all his children who have died in spirit and soul are going to come back with him to this earth. Because there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a resurrection of those bodies. For the Lord, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. He's bringing some folks with Him. And that's the saints of God that have died in the Lord. If we turn over back over there to chapter 3 of First Thess- or, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to pick Him up in the 12th verse. I believe it is. I can't. Can you get over there? Alright. He says, verse 12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and towards all men, even towards you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even their Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. You know, <clears throat> at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. All His saints are going to come back. Jude 14, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of the saints. The saints are coming back with the Lord because there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with the shout and the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those in the ground are going to come out. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be at the Lord. Body, soul, and spirit. Not just our spirit and soul. We're with the Lord. But God isn't going to leave that body. He loved that body. He died for that body. That sin is going to make, uh, you know, free from sin. That corruptible is going to put on, it goes underground corruptible. It comes out incorruptible. It goes immortal. It comes out immortal. You see. It says over in Philippians chapter 3, it says, verse 21, it says, for these, this, these bodies shall be, uh, fashioned like in his own glorious body. 
He's thy body should be changed and fashioned like unto his own glorious body. There's going to be a change of these bodies. And it's the, by the way, don't get me started, but it's the same body that goes in is the same body that's coming out. Because he bought that body that was living here upon the earth and that same body's coming out. Some people say that's going to be a different, a new body. Well, it's going to be a renewed body. It's going to be a renewed old body. The same body that you've been looking in the mirror at all those years. It's the same material body that goes in that's going to be coming out. Because it's that same material body that Jesus Christ died for and He's not going to leave it there. It's called the purchase possession and He's going to come and take it because it's His. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And I believe there's going to be that spirit and soul when the saints come out. There's going to be that body's going to come out. There's going to be a reuniting of that spirit and soul within that body and you're going to live body, soul, and spirit again. That was what Job understood. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee. If we look over in the 19th chapter of Job, he said this. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And as you'll stand at the latter day upon the earth. This is, this is verse, uh, verse 25. Verse 23, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand upon the day, sorry, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You know what Job just said? When Job, Job, Job lived, he was a man, lived a long time ago. He said, I know. Job's living, and he's saying this. I know my Redeemer liveth. And one of these days, he's gonna stand on the earth, which he did. He came, his first coming. He came, and he lived and died and saved the people. But Job said, I know that he liveth. And he says, though after my skin worms destroy this my body, though I'm dead, and my reins be consumed within me, he says, yet in my flesh, Shall I see God, whom I shall see with mine own eyes? Job is saying the same eyes that I've got now, back in Job's day, is the same eyes I'm going to see my blessed Redeemer with. That takes a resurrection of the body of Job, and Job, that body, being spirit and soul coming back, because the real Job in spirit and soul says one of these days I'm going to be back in my body in my flesh seeing the Lord with mine own eyes because there's going to be how's that going to happen? Because the spirit and soul of Job is going to come back with the Lord. He's one of those saints. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. And that spirit and soul of Job, the real Job in his own personality and his conscious thought is going to be reunited back with his body and he's going to see with his own natural eyes of his body, glorified eyes, incorruptible eyes, but he's going to behold his Lord with his own eyes. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. How long's ever, brother? Ever is ever and ever and ever. May God bless you is my prayer.